Welcome to the Good Business Podcast from DBNN. Our guest host for this episode is Drew Hendry. Let's find out about the good business we are speaking to today. I'm one of the founding directors and CEO of The Ledge Climbing Gym and The Ledge Charity. Thank you, welcome. Uh, we believe at DBNN that uh, people are the heart of good business, so we want to hear more about you. Tell us about your journey, how you ended up where you are today and, and what your major influences were. Wow. I, I, I suppose that the, the very, very start of this is that um, I'm, I'm dyslexic, quite badly dyslexic. And at school, I really was sort of floating around in, in that amorphous state, neither being um, practical enough to go into a trade or being academic enough to go into really further, further education or develop further education. And in that sort of state of 13, 14 facing exams, I hadn't got a clue what I was going to do. My results were almost awful. They were really, really bad. Until I discovered through the introduction of a school teacher, hill walking and climbing. They took me hill walking and climbing and I went rock climbing for the first time about the age of 13. I thought, wow, this is really something I can get stuck into. Luckily, I was better than everybody else that was on that particular trip. Mm -hmm. And it gave me something to hang my hat on, really. Um, following that, I ended up doing lots of new climbs in the north of Scotland with a few people who... I had a traditional climbing apprenticeship and then went to the Alps at the age of 16 to 17 to 18. Discovered rock climbing when I was out there. Um, re really, more like sort of professional rock climbing and came back with a bunch of photographs. Mm -hmm. And those photographs were seen by a few people. They thought, oh, wow, you should think about career as a, as a photographer or a filmmaker. So I got myself an arts portfolio, went to university on the strength of the portfolio, not my written work at all, and ended up with a degree in photography with a sort of master in film, and ended up using my outdoor skills to be the solid background to my film work because I could go and live in, in the Arctic or the Antarctic and live in a tent and survive and then keep everything running. So I did that for a long, long time. But luckily, the film business at the time was really quite well paid. So I would do a month's work and then go climbing for four months. Mm -hmm. And I did that for 10 years yeah. on and off. And uh, I was one of the first, I suppose, paid sponsored climbers in Scotland uh, not because I was one of the best, but because I could um, document what I was doing. I, I learned very early on to get over the written mm -hmm. dyslexia stuff um, by writing in patterns. Mm -hmm. So the way that you do that is you write in patterns mm -hmm. and thought, oh, there's an interesting career here. I got offered a job in the States as a, as a climbing guide, mm -hmm. went out to do a trial period with a climbing school in America. And that was, I think, that would have been in... 1998 um, and got offered a green card was being sponsored to go out and develop their indoor climbing and training program that was at the start of indoor climbing walls I think there'd been one World Cup competition in those days and my job was then to run an indoor program to take people from an indoor climbing wall to the outdoors and uh, just as I was about to move to the States, there was a massive financial crash <laughs> and the Americans basically stopped anybody coming in and yeah. working from abroad. So right back then, I had an interest in, in using indoor climbing tools to train better rock climbers mm -hmm. for the outdoors. 
So when I came back to Scotland, there was no climbing walls here mm. at all. And not long after, there was a, a new one started in, in Edinburgh, but it was right at that very start of professionalising rock climbing and seeing that you could use facilities to develop all sorts of skills. And um, I pursued a dream for a very long time to build a, a project in Edinburgh, which is now run by um, Edinburgh Council, the EICA in Ratho, to develop a, a national training centre in, in the south of Scotland. And that was a, a long often painful, torturous journey trying to build a, a climbing centre down there. And who or uh, what has influenced you most in your career, do you think? Oh, wow. Um, people who give up their time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, my, I believe that, you, you know, the, my own personal journey with this project that we're working on in Inverness, it's been a long, long time coming. And it wouldn't have got to the stage it is at now without an enormous amount of sacrifice by the small team that I have around me and myself. Yeah. So I think you need to be passionate. Mm -hmm. I think you really need to know your subject. Mm -hmm. I think everybody has seen businesses that are sort of built up, sold to a VC, and then mm -hmm. the founders move on. Yeah. Um, that's great if you're into that. I'm not into the making the money side. I'm much more interested now in, in building community and making sure that you've got a legacy that's true to the roots of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So whether you're making sandwiches that are the best sandwiches in the world, or whether you're making the best bread, or whether you're making the best climbing centre, I think customers these days look to founders to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very, very important part of, of certainly my business journey. When, when you talked about um, the, the ledge and where you're going with that now, it's <coughs> to yeah. be the Highlands Sports Adventure uh, Hub, uh, um, for us, basically centred around that growing community of uh, mountain sports and uh, and, and to, to set a national standard, isn't it, for uh, for bouldering, climbing, adventure, yes. climbing, so, those kinds of things. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so the Ledge Climbing Gym will be run by the Ledge Charity. Mm -hmm. And I think there were two starts to that. One, Sport Scotland and, and certainly Scottish Government mm -hmm. are not interested in funding or supporting somebody private who builds a big health club, does exactly yeah. that, build it up and sell it on. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, they had a few years ago a programme called Sport for All. Mm -hmm. And that was very much about using government money to invest in facilities that would support the general public. I think that's become much more refined now, where anybody applying to Scottish Government or Sport Scotland for funding mm -hmm. really has to have a very defined, very clear view of what they want to achieve in terms of either supporting the community or giving back to the community. So we started working... Is, with, is that the vision for the ledge? To it's part of the vision for the ledge, yes. Mm -hmm. So you have to we've had to link with the national governing body for for mountaineering and climbing called sports scotland, uh, mountaineering scotland um and they have a facilities plan which I, I i've kind of worked with over the last few years to develop a, a set of facilities that feed into the the national sports program and it used to be that that national sports program was very much done on medals and gaining medals and if you look at the legacy post-2012 Olympics in London, all the funding was about medals. Mm -hmm. But the actual uptake in a lot of those sports after the Olympics was absolutely awful. So 
the country invested millions and millions and millions and millions in athletic stadiums and the payback into the communities has been pretty poor. So there's a recognition that funding needs to work more closely to the ground and then more closely with sports and activities that provide people with a route to activity for all their lives. And, and lifestyle sports and action sports like climbing and mountain biking and skiing and so on, if you get hooked early enough, they stay with you through, you know, through all your years. And that's very much the foundation of what we're trying to achieve at the ledge. But also when you look at where funding is and, and um, how best to use that funding, mm -hmm. there are very definite areas of the country that have quite ingrained social complex problems. There's a thing called the social index of multiple deprivation, yeah. which identifies areas of either rural or urban communities, normally housing estates, where there are ingrained issues of repeated long-term behaviours which lead to um, incarceration, long-term unemployment, lots of teenage births, drug addiction and so on. And I think I've taken enough from the sport which I should be thinking about putting something back in. Yeah. So the foundation of our programmes is to work with those communities and in those communities and the wider public yeah. to try and use climbing as a tool not to create better, more climbers, but to use the learnings that you can get through climbing um, to try and people make people a little bit more resilient yeah. and teach life skills. And, and as part of that vision that you've just outlined just now, how important is it for everybody that you're involved with, from funders through to potential staff, how, how important is it for them to be bought into that vision? It may not be so important for everybody we talk to, but it's really important for me that they are. <laughs> and so we've, we've just started our major recruitment yeah. drive, and it's a very clear part of our mm -hmm. um, recruitment strategy that people have a belief in mm -hmm. the overall goals of the charity, the community side in yeah. particular. Mm -hmm. And whilst, uh, as we relate to the, the governing body, there's definitely a stream that is going to elite and performance sport. And a right. lot of the facilities that we're building are pointed towards that. And the, the, the investment is slightly skewed towards that. They are the adverts that bring people in. They're the people who become the ambassadors in the community and the ambassadors in the climbing community. And if they are, if they buy in, as, as our staff and myself have bought into the concept of using it as a force for good, it's absolutely imperative that that is a, is a thread through everything that we do. Mm -hmm. um, it's very interesting when you start thinking about, well, how do I price a cup of coffee? Mm -hmm. yeah. Or what, how do I sell a piece of climbing gear? Because those are purely commercial mm -hmm. activities. But they all need to contribute to the, the, the whole. Yeah, would you say that, I mean, you're talking a lot about basically about the values. What, if, yeah. if you had to drill down to say what those values are, how would you describe them? And how do you think they positively impact? You were talking about you know, the, this being something for the community. So how do they positively impact the community? I've been asked so many times to write a mission <laughs> statement and every month it changes. Yeah. Um, and that changes the more I personally learn about. Is that because it's evolving? Yes. Yeah, yeah and it always will evolve. Mm. I think if you're stuck with one particular thing, then you can go down the route, well, if it's only for disabled sport and autistic mm. kids. Well, if you go down that route, then, I mean, really, the Highlands is a fairly small population. Yeah. So you can target that really quite early on. But if you look at the way that Scottish government funding is going post-pandemic and lockdowns, yeah. there's a huge emphasis on mental health. So if you'd asked me five years ago what we're going to do, I'd go, well, it's, it's all about um, supporting 
groups who are, haven't got access to, yeah. to, to facilities. And that's a big part of what we want them to do. But now it's all about supporting people who have really suffered over the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and, and the pandemic and the, and the lockdown, how it's affected yeah. kids, mm -hmm. has highlighted the issues of, of mental health and how important good mental health is for everyone. Yeah. Well, you mentioned kids there. Let's talk about yeah. young people because I know they're important to yeah. their uh, overall vision. vision. How, how do you see the, the community work with young people developing over the, the piece? Well, we've just employed our, our social impact director yeah. and um, Mark Peart is his name. And he used to run a special school in Yorkshire, either working with kids who are about mm -hmm. to be locked up or are coming out of being locked up. So it's about preparing for that trauma and then rehabilitation after that trauma. And his age group is working from, mm -hmm. I think his age group was 17 to 21. But if you look at the wider population of where childhood trauma starts, it starts at five or even younger. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but the, the best interventions seem to come from about 12 to 25. So it's slightly older than 21. You're a sort of functioning adult, hopefully at 21. But then those the residue of, of that kind of ingrained trauma can last mm. very much later on. Yeah. So our, our real target groups will be about, I would say, 14 to 25. And that's yeah. partly because that age group can, uh, they can learn the skills that you need as a climber, mm -hmm. but also they're more likely to be able to work through a set program. So we're using a thing called, we're basing a lot of our programs on a thing called decider skills, which are mm -hmm. actions and reaction trigger point training. So you can kind of create a module or a model that will prick something and they'll go, right, I react that way because of this. And then yeah. you can hopefully work to mm -hmm. mitigate that through activity or through counselling. Well, I'm not sure if that answered your question. It, it did. It was very, very well, actually. Uh, let's talk about the actual business itself. Yeah. You, you, you've, uh, you've set that up with charitable status. How is, yes. that, how is that going to work into the future? Well, the charitable status is protected, obviously, by your agreement with, with Oscar, the, the charitable mm -hmm. register. And especially after the big trauma of, of kids' company where people were pouring money into something that just seemed to evaporate, mm -hmm. um, I think, to the great credit, mm -hmm. the charitable reg regulation in Scotland were, are wanting charities to be self-financing to a mm -hmm. degree certainly the foundations should be quite solid. Yeah. The foundations of, of a commercial climbing gym are reasonably well known now. Um, there's enough of them in the country that you can say, right, if I've got 100,000 of a catchment area, I'll get X number of people coming in, paying this amount of money, and then that will support a, a, a wall mm -hmm. that'll make it profitable, and that profit can be reinvested in whatever they're going to do, or given to the directors of it. If it's a company, so Inverness has about eighty thousand residents, mm -hmm. but then if you look at the catchment area of the Inner Murray Firth, it's coming up to about one hundred and thirty-seven thousand, mm -hmm. and then going beyond that because we have no competition as a climbing centre for, well, the nearest half decent ones in Fort William, and then the next one is in Aberdeen, and then in Edinburgh. So. Mm -hmm. We've got a really big pool of people, although they're very dispersed. Mm -hmm. But I remember but people in rural areas are more likely to travel further anyway from these things. They are, and yeah. and if you were looking at a town of fifty thousand in central England, where you've got lots and lots of climbing walls, mm -hmm. that model might be slightly weak. Mm -hmm. But 
I think we're probably looking at about 150 mm. to 170,000 people within our yeah. functioning one hour's drive, which is yeah. going to be our evenings yeah. evenings visitor. The, the, the strength of our, our proposition is often highlighted by the number of people who are willing to invest. In yeah. You've got quite a range of funding partners. Yes, we have. Yeah. From not, not only the ones you mentioned, like Sports Scotland, but the RBS are in there, the Robertson Trust, there's yeah. a bunch of things. It, you know, how important is that? And I'm only mentioning a few. I think there's about eight or nine. There's funders. twelve. Twelve. Is that yeah. How, how important has that uh, breadth of support been to uh, to you and to, to the confidence it's, of the people you're working with in terms of setting this? It's absolutely critical. Mm. It's totally critical. I think one of the things that it's um, kind of been plain sailing. Though. It's been a very <laughs> long and torturous process, yeah. and the, and the key for anybody wanting to do something like this mm. was find the key that other people. It's about confidence, really. Yeah. Mm. Um, Sports Scotland were very hard to convince, but for very, very good reasons. Mm -hmm. I was involved in a very big project in Edinburgh, which I think probably cost Sports Scotland a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. I was involved in writing all the grant applications mm -hmm. at the very early stage yeah. of the Scottish Lottery yeah. funding, which mm -hmm. was, was a million pound application. Mm -hmm. And that project, although its delivery now is, is mm -hmm. and the legacy of it is, is huge, mm -hmm. it had a very difficult faltered mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. So they took a lot of convincing, mm -hmm. but once they came on board, and especially once we'd convinced Highland Council mm -hmm. that there was a real strategic need in the, in the city, they know there's a strategic mm -hmm. need, but working with that strategic need and then proposing something that mm -hmm. helped fill that gap is what, what do you very think, key. What do you think they saw that strategic need as? What, 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 was, the, what, what was the purpose you were fulfilling? Well, there, do you think? well there are two or three... Two or three housing estates in town, which one of them is rated the wor in the worst eight in the whole of Scotland, and that's quite surprising. We see Inverness; it's very rural, it's very beautiful, it's green everywhere. Access to the outdoors is is easy; it's better than any other city in the country. But there are a few places where they've put a lot of money in with very little change in the social circumstances of of the residents. So they're quite keen to see us try and penetrate that. Yeah. And small successes there will be a huge success for us because, you know, you're talking about repeated behaviours over generations mm. that are quite ingrained. And mm. people just need something like I found as an early spark with that gym teacher who'd given up their time. Yeah. We're not saying that we can solve all the problems, but if we solve the problems of a few, mm. then you create ambassadors and those ambassadors can go back into the community and then it rolls on from there. So it's quite a long term project. Mm but it has to be supported by mm -hmm. the strength of the commercial offering at the start. So Duncan, tell us a wee bit more about the timeline for the ledge. When yeah. can, uh, can folk expect to, to be able to, every, first of all, will everything be open at once and when can yes. folk expect yeah. to, to get in to use the facilities? So if you listen to the builders <laughs> and then you listen to our CFO, the two timelines are <laughs> parallel, but they don't quite match. Yeah. Um, if we are open to the public at the end of January 23, yeah. that's a fairly good legitimate That'd be a success target. for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how do you, who do you see as your ideal customer? Oh, well, most of NHS Highland. If you go yeah. to Rigmore Hospital, yeah. half of the consultants are climbers, yeah. half of the nurses are climbers, um, half the, the other half are probably skiers and mountain bikers and runners. Yeah. So that's our... You know, every people are now moving to Inverness because it offers a really fantastic lifestyle for families yeah. and and active people. So yeah. that's our target. We know how many climbers yeah. there are in the city. We know how often they have to yeah. visit 
to make the thing work. But also in the long term, you look at any child that's at a school that doesn't really enjoy team mm. sport or any person who's sort of left team sport because they're slightly older and is looking for something to do. Um, where you go into the gym is an utterly thankless task where there's no end game. If it's just about aesthetics, you're lost. If it's just about a beach body, you are lost. You need to be engaged in support a sport which has a culture behind it and then something that can morph over time and change as you grow or get older. Yeah. And and mountaineering and outdoor sports absolutely offer that. Mm-hmm. So so you've you've got a timeline now which uh, yeah. says that you're well, you're building works ongoing and you're, yeah. you're looking to uh, launch in early twenty twenty three. And you must be thinking about recruitment now. Why? Why would people who are, pre- who are not already working for you? Why would? Why would, Why should they come and work at the ledge? Uh, so recruitment in the outdoors industry is pretty interesting because traditionally it's not very well paid, mm-hmm. but it provides a background lifestyle yeah. that allows people to continue mm-hmm. climbing. So how we're writing a recruitment policy is really, really, really important. Yeah. Um, we're we're offering people extremely flexible work conditions. <clears throat> so so for me as a young climber, I'd happily work in a climbing gym three days a week and spend the rest of the time climbing. That's mm-hmm. what I did for years and years, but through the film business. Um, but also we want to make sure that people buy into the vision of what we're trying to do. And that really is to, everybody comes into an adventure sport from a different direction, but they all have one key thing. It becomes a passion. Mm-hmm. And if you can share that passion with, a five-year-old kid who's coming in for the first is, time. Is that the answer to who's a great employee for you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Someone that shares that passion yeah. for. People don't work in climbing for money. They work in climbing because it either provides them with an adventurous lifestyle, mm-hmm. or they know the value that brings to them as a human being, and the ability to converse in that language and pass that on, mm-hmm. and pass that enthusiasm on, is the starting point. And how do you? Th- think that developing your team will ultimately help the ledge and, and achieve its aims? Well, the development of the team will be very much linked to our social impact programmes. Mm. And those social impact programmes will change and will have to morph as, as we grow. We're, the very early stage programmes are purely introducing as many people as we can mm. to the sport. Yeah. But then on the back of that, we're working with people from NHS Highland. We're working with um, people who work a lot with kids and adults who've experienced trauma yeah. and that trauma can be anything from the loss of a sibling or sexual abuse or violence or incarceration you know i'm not saying sitting here now going we know how to deal with all of those different problems yeah. but if you're saying how we develop you learn more about those people you learn better how to deliver a, a design program around things that help them get in getting go on and then increase their ability to turn up to school to be more employable and to be healthier more functioning adults that's the game and that's a long long term goal and that requires very clever people working in the background writing and changing programs as as we learn as well well obviously developing staff you've just said is really important what's your favorite part of being a, a leader or a mentor well, for so long, this project was just me in the, at a computer in the house going, it's going to work, it's going to work. And then going, no, it's not good. People, it was knocked down so many times. We've, yeah. This is the end of well, it's the end of a seven-year funding 
process, I think. We we had, just before lockdown, we had £3.5 billion promised to the project, a brand new brownfield site, and it was going to be this huge development, and the ledger would have been part of that. Mm. So in March, um, I think it was, is it 2021? Yeah, March 2021, everything collapsed. Mm -hmm. No site, no building, no investor, all gone. And at that point, I thought, oh, we're, this is it. I've, I've spent three years or four years trying to get to that point. Do I really have the energy to go on? Mm -hmm. And I, I kept poking and poking. And then something would, a door would slightly creak open yeah. and I was fixated in that point of light to go through and try the next one, the next one. And that's probably the only reason that we're here <laughs> looking to employ 30 to 40 people with 1.4 million pounds going, people in the building and, and ready to open in a few months time. Thinking about your customers <clears throat> when you are open, um, you talked earlier about how you basically you know, understand what you, you feel your yeah. demographic is, where you think you can uh, pull customers for that's from that's obviously going to be a, an ongoing task for you to understand your customers yes. and so forth. Yeah. But on the, on the charitable side, on the yeah. climbing side, I yeah. know that very well because that's yeah. who I am. Well, loyal customers are very very important yeah. to uh, business. They're vital in fact for that. What's your strategy to develop loyalty in your customer base? It has to be some degree of continual personal development. Mm. We were interviewing this morning for somebody who's going to be a social impact instructor, stroke mm. manager. Yeah. And um, it's very obvious that that person, when, when they start, will be just like everybody else, manning the reception desk, doing all the inductions, checking the ropes every morning, mm -hmm. to the point where in the springtime we start our first really big social impact program. Um, but that person will get more involved in doing the research, more involved in writing the programs, mm -hmm. uh, we'll hopefully get them involved in in a degree of mm -hmm. clinical analysis of the outcomes and then if you understand what changes people's lives then surely you encourage that person to go on and develop those skills so it becomes more efficient and more cost effective and therefore you reach more people so mm -hmm. it's a it's a there's a very early stage concept of where we want to go but the principles are the same but going there is obviously going to have a few challenges. How has the drive to be more climate conscious uh, impacted your business model? That's a really good question. And it's a very tough question to answer when we've taken on the building that exists already. If we were building a brand new building, mm -hmm. very easy. You know, you ground source heat pumps, lots of solar panels, mm -hmm. over-insulate it, lots of good ventilation mm -hmm. in the summer to keep the ambient temperature low, um, make sure you've got energy efficient light bulbs and so on and so forth. Yeah. We've just cut out of the building 300 LEDs, which if we weren't climate conscious, we'd have left in the building. Mm -hmm. But we've now put in a whole network of, of a new lighting rig that's mm -hmm. very low consumption. Um, we've got a grant from SSE to put in uh, a hold washing machine. So yeah. all the climbing holds need to come off and be washed every four to six weeks. The standard way of doing that is that you take them outside, put them in a shopping crate and uh, power wash them down with hot water. That system alone uses about a quarter of a million litres a year. Wow. It's hugely costly as a resource. Yeah. We've just got a grant to put in uh, what's called an ultrasonic bath. Mm -hmm. Using that technology, we only use 5,000 litres of water a year. So it's a massive, massive, massive saving. 
and we're working at the moment with um, Business Energy Scotland to see how we can make an existing building mm -hmm. much, much more so efficient. So it's in your future plans. Oh, it has to become be. More it efficient. has to be. But that also comes down to the education. If you're introducing new people to the outdoors, you have an absolute role these days to make sure that they understand that it's a finite resource. It has to be protected, and how you behave in the outdoors yeah. is critical. Well, we're talking there about future plans. What what excites you most about the future? S sitting in the bar <laughs> on the on the first of February with a schooner of real ale from Lossiemouth, going right. Stage yeah. one is over. Yeah. yeah, on that stage one, does that mean that we'll see more businesses added to your portfolio over the coming year or so? Well, um, I would love to think so. I would really mm. love to think so. I think. What we're maybe best focusing on is, is developing really strong social impact mm -hmm. programs and modules that we can roll out in other sites. Mm -hmm. If I, I, I wish I was doing this project in, in Newham in London. Yeah, why? Because there's complete disengagement with sport. Mm, right. Massive, massive, massive population of people who don't have any motivation to become physically active, yeah. who don't have a place that they can drop in into and and sit and be fed on mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. Monday morning or Fred and a, you know, our, I, I would ultimately like to see us have a breakfast club on a Monday and a supper club on a Friday. So is this a deployable model for you? Yes, it is, it, yes. It's it, it yeah. set up as an exemplar then, is that one of the, one of the things that you're aiming for? It would be set out as a, as a British exemplar, there's a very good project in mm -hmm. Memphis in Tennessee at the moment called Memphis Rocks mm -hmm. and it's the brainchild and funded by the director of Ace Venture of Pen Detective. <laughs> okay. So yeah. he got very fed yeah. up, Adam Shadiak. Oh, right, yeah. 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 <laughs> so he got very fed up with Hollywood, yeah. um, made a lot of money and thought, right, I'm going to invest in a yeah. community project. He built a huge climbing centre in Memphis yeah. where he didn't charge anybody any money at all. And there's a really high rate of murder, suicide, disengagement. I mean, I think that some Britain's inner cities have got problems when mm. kids at the age of 12 are dealing drugs and killing each other. Mm. I know what happens in, in other places in, in London. It's not quite as but bad as that here. There, yeah. mm -hmm. um, he said, right, we're going to open a climbing centre, mm. employed local people, you know, you're talking about black African-Americans who yeah. had no history of climbing at all. Yeah. He now has fully staffed with local people in reception, climbing people, got a big sponsorship deal from mm. North Face who made a film called Black Ice. It's an amazing project mm. and a lot of um, how you work with really disengaged communities and use climbing to be a force for good is, is starting to work there. So we've now got a, an arrangement with Memphis Rocks that will maybe do a staff exchange in three or four years time or uh, a client exchange in three or four years time. But they simply opened the door, had a safe space for kids to come into to get them off the street so they weren't involved in gang violence. Yeah. And that was as simple as going, there's no judgment here. You can come in, do what you like, as long as you behave in a particular way. And those kids are now the instructors. Yeah. That's an amazing thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think if you could repeat that in London, in Birmingham, in Manchester or central Glasgow or Edinburgh or anywhere where there's really big disengaged populations mm -hmm. and diverse populations, that's where I'd like to see the ledge model go if we could do that. Okay, and Duncan, how can listeners to this podcast uh, find out more? How can they get in touch with you and connect with your business either online or in person? Well, you know, like all modern businesses, we have Twitter, we've got um, Instagram, mm -hmm. we've got a Facebook page. 
Uh, we so have what do they look up for those things? Uh, the ledge climbing gym, simple mm -hmm. as that, right. um, or the ledge in Venice. Uh, and we're in the middle of, of or we have a, a local crowdfunding page, which we're just about to close down. Mm -hmm. And then we're opening a national one in a couple of weeks to, to bring in more money. We always need more cash because, you know, you, we might have enough to build the walls at the moment. But when you're looking at investing in, in the programs and the life skills programs, that's an absolute sink so you, of cash. So you're happy to speak to anyone <coughs> who can perhaps offer. Oh, yes, and we're not be precious about that <laughs> at all. I mean, there, there are certain, certain um, because we have a very strong environmental statement as well, yeah. mm -hmm. we need to make sure that people who are investing in us share similar values. But 25 years ago, if you looked at Unilever, it's just a great big chemical company, they're one of the most advanced, forward-thinking green companies in, in the world. So, you know, if Unilever want to give us half a million quid to run our programs here. The door is open. Yeah, and then <laughs> run a, open another one of these in central London where we work in the community, we'll go for it. Okay, finally, uh, Duncan, this podcast is about uh, good business and getting yeah. to the heart and soul of yeah. good business. What's at the heart of your business? Passion, enjoyment, fun. I think it's pretty creative. If you look at how we are going to approach what we're trying to do, I think one of the reasons that we've been quite successful in raising the social funding at the moment mm -hmm. is that we're looking at a, a very well-known problem but coming at it from a different angle because people disengage with mm -hmm. standard models of community work you know it's like everybody knows how to get around the system mm -hmm. everybody knows that if you go in that way then you'll get the cash and you don't have to perform um, it's really important for us to offer something that's slightly different that takes them away from the standard governmental delivery of a service and go, this is slightly different. And we know we need to change, but if we go this way, it'll it'll create community as well. It's about being part of something that is, uh, creates a lovely group of individuals, but in a community. Duncan, uh, thanks very much for telling us about the yeah, legend, for, for, the opportunity. for joining us on this Good Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.